0: Welcome to Howard David Live. We welcome in Otis Livingston from Channel 2 in New York. Uh, a lot going on exciting-wise uh, for New York baseball in particular. Yankees with the best record in, the, in baseball. The Mets with the best record in the National League. And their first place, obviously, in the NL East. Uh, the, 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 the mind starts to drift a little, Otis. Uh, Yankees, uh-huh. Met, um, The Yankees-Mets World Series, a Subway Series, would be tremendous.
1: Oh, it would be outstanding. I remember the last time, you know, the, the, the town was uh, was on fire, you know. Um, the Mets believed that they had a chance. They were in it. They were, had their opportunity to go up against the big bad Yankees back in, in 2000. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for them, you know. But there was a lot of excitement, and, and, and both teams are playing great baseball. They get some great pitching. And the, and the most astonishing part about it, too, is that uh, Max Scherzer's only pitched a handful of games for the Mets before he went out. Jacob Degrom hasn't pitched a single inning this year, and the Mets have the best record in the National League, just like you said. Um, this is this is really really exciting. Um, I, I think a lot of fans on either side are, are kind of waiting to see when the shoe the other shoe will drop, and and they'll hit some kind of a slump or or come back to earth or whatever. But
0: maybe these teams are just this good in the class of the major league. It's kind of interesting that here they go into Minnesota tonight for the first of three after winning six straight at home and sweeping the homestand. Uh, they meet an old friend tonight, Gary Sanchez, who was part of the big deal back in March that sent Sanchez and Ursella uh, in exchange for Josh Donaldson, Isaiah Kiner, uh Falifa. This is an interesting dynamic to both. I mean, Minnesota's on the top of their division also. So, so what do you think goes through the mind of a player? That's been traded away, like Sanchez and Ursella, and their emotions can get carried away. They can try too hard.
1: Yeah, I think uh, definitely. I mean, the the prevailing emotion is is you know a little bit of anger, a little bit of hurt. I mean, uh, they they want revenge. They want to prove that they are those the the players that they were at one time with the with the Yankees, and and no one wants to be traded, you know. Um, but maybe that change of scenery might turn into a good thing for them, which gives them a little more incentive, a little, maybe a little less pressure, opportunity to kind of reinvent themselves, especially Gary Sanchez, because don't forget, he was the Kraken. He was the guy that was going to be, you know, the catcher, the franchise catcher, you know, regardless of his foibles behind the plate, his back his ability to hit the baseball for average and for power uh, was the thing that most Yankee fans were were pinning their hopes on going into the future and hopefully win some world championships. But, you know, maybe a change of scenery is good for them. They can refocus, uh, have that chip on their shoulder that maybe they didn't have when they were playing with the Yankees and, and kind of figure some things out with, in, a, in a less stressful environment.
0: Aaron Judge, boy, talk about a guy who's betting on himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, you got to like his chances. He leads the majors in home runs with twenty one. He's batting three thirteen. He's knocked in forty two runs. I mean, he's uh, and he's fielding his position exceptionally well. Uh, th- this guy is uh, right now. You'd say he's a good, got a good a shot of winning the MVP as anybody.
1: Certainly, uh, certainly does. He has that that opportunity. And every time he jogs around the bases, I hear cha ching. Cha-ching, cha-ching. I don't don't hear the cleats. I hear cha-ching because he bet on himself. He said, you know, after the season's over, he's going to talk to all of the teams, including the Yankees. Um, so they're going to have to put their bid in. Obviously, I believe that he's going to remain a Yankee. I, I think they're going to pony up the money. Uh, they have to. I mean, this is a franchise player. This is a guy who could be the face of that and, and has been the face of the organization. Uh, negotiations obviously got a little bit nasty where they weren't ready to do what he wanted them to do, and then he turned down a deal that they were offering because he wanted more money, he wanted more security. Um, but, yeah, th- this is it's pretty remarkable to watch because you, you, you would think that it would either go one of two ways. You would either press too much because you're trying to play for that contract or you're going to play relaxed and just show it. And he's doing the latter. And it's, it's, it's kind of cool to see. And you know what? It's a win-win situation for the Yankees as well because you're getting the best Aaron Judge. You're getting a guy that's tearing the cover off the baseball. And as you said, playing, uh, fielding his position very well. Uh, so they're going to get the best version of him and he's showing it so far so that means that they're going to be in the best position to win and to win a a, a, a world series
0: meanwhile we're talking to otis livingston of channel two in new york meanwhile the rangers uh, let one get away the other day blew a two goal lead but the fact of the matter is uh they're still in control of their own destiny They've got to play another one in tampa here's the yep. two-time defending stanley cup champions and the rangers look this is a young team they haven't been mm-hmm. here but they're getting great goaltending, they're getting great scoring, getting great defense, so why not? Why not send them to the finals for the Stanley Cup?
1: Why not? I mean, they're they're proving it. I mean, coming into into this series, it was all about the two-time defending champions, as if they were, you know, kind of destined to win. You know, like it would be an uphill battle, but the Rangers beat them three times, and I know, that we have to throw out the records, you know, the regular season records when it comes to the playoffs. But it just carried over into the playoffs where they got that two uh went up two games to none and they were dominating the action. They were peppering the former Vesna trophy winner, uh, and the and the two time Stanley Cup champion goalie. I mean, Andre Basilski, it's it, it's been remarkable to watch them. Why not them? They're getting um, you know, the I think it was game two where they had Six different players scored two points each. Right. You know, you're getting it from all over the place. And they, they're, they're taking advantage of the power play. Um, they're playing good defense. And as you said, Shosturkin and Ned has been monumental, you know. And, yeah, they slipped up. Uh, tonight is an all-important game 4 you We'd love to come back up 3-1 with an opportunity to close it out at the Garden. Um, they still have home ice advantage regardless of what happens tonight. Uh, but yeah, you want to come back up three
0: one and then put the hammer down. What we uh, look—it's exciting for the city. It's exciting for the franchise. Yankees and Mets are playing well. Uh, then you start to think ahead a little bit to June 29th. That's the day that Kyrie Irving has to decide whether or not to opt out of his of his contract and set him up to become a free agent next year. Uh, right. I mean, most experts believe that he'll be back in Brooklyn. I'm not so sure. I mean, well, I mean,
1: let's face it with Kyrie, you you always have to kind of be on your toes as of wondering what's going on. What is he thinking? What is he feeling? Um, I personally think that he will resign. Uh, Then it's up to them, I guess, to decide if they want to do the long-term deal. You know, uh, again, as far as being the the best version of yourself, I think next year he'll be on his P's and Q's. I think that he will... uh, be the best version of himself, hopefully not take any of those, uh, uh, those personal leave time, weeks or days or whatever it is, because I, I think that he truly likes playing with Kevin Durant. I think he truly believes that they can win uh, an NBA title, even though they got smashed in the first round by the Boston Celtics and the Easts is, is going to be tough. I think he truly believes that if those two guys are healthy and there's no mandate and all that kind of stuff that came into play this year, that they have an opportunity to win an NBA championship. Uh, I, I I see him in a Brooklyn Nets uniform. I'm not sure how long of a deal they will give him because of some of the things that have have happened in the past. Um, and, and you have to also have to figure in also there's there's an injury factor with Kyrie. You know, not only the the personal time, but he's always he's also been injury prone throughout his career, not playing full seasons. So there's a lot that the Nets will have to weigh you know, as far as signing him long-term with that match contract. Uh, but I, I envision him, you know, re-signing with the team, uh, you know, uh, opting into the contract for next
0: year. If you are the, the, uh, the upper management, you're Sean Marks of the Nets. You know the, what Kyrie's background is in Cleveland, in Boston, now in Brooklyn. And you say to yourself, if they were, if he wasn't as talented as he is, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. But the fact of the matter is, are you willing as the Nets to commit to a guy that today it could be something else, tomorrow it could be something else?
1: Yeah, yeah. But isn't I mean, that's the way the world operates. Talent, upside, prospect, all these key words, you know, uh, figure heavily into uh, front office or, or employers' uh, decisions as far as... Whether they're going to pay somebody, keep them around, get rid of them, and things of that nature. Basketball just has to be, just happens to be a lot more magnified. There's a lot more money at stake, a lot more uh, uh, platform, brand, all that sort of stuff that, that goes into it. And you're right, if he wasn't as good of a basketball player, uh, then then this wouldn't be a real discussion, you know. Uh, but the clock is ticking as well. He's getting older. Uh, some of the things that that have happened. You know in his career injury wise and, and things of that nature could end up taking a toll uh, as we go on and then all of a sudden no one wants to put up with the 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 antics because of the talent upside because there won't be much of upside with you know an older player so it's going to be an, an, an interesting situation uh and I think net fans just want Kyrie to play at his best. I mean, we saw him. He was spectacular at times this mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. But if you have to question if he's going to be there or not, if he can be counted on or not, you know, um, if he's going to, you know, again, the, the the big part for me is that availability. You know, and, and I think that that's going to weigh heavily in the Nets decision. Um, they, they got a lot of questions that they have to get answered, and I'm sure there'll be conversations with him as well. Yep. You know, as far as, hey, are you 110% committed to this thing? Because if not, then we got to do something. We got to make some moves while there's value there. Uh, we got to figure out what pieces we need to bring in and that we can acquire. Um, as a result of a trade, possibly with you, or let him go. I, I don't know what. I mean, you're not going to let him go just you know, and not get anything in return because he's a highly valued
0: player. No matter what, mm-hmm. you know, other teams covet him as well, and and you know how we are. I can fix him. Oh, if he gets here, yeah. we, <laughs> he's going to be on his best
1: behavior because of our culture. And this oh, and that yeah. And the other. You know what I mean? So there's always going to be interest in him in because of the di- dynamic uh, uh, way that he plays the game. I mean, this guy was putting up 50 points a game and making it look kind of easy, you know? Um, so there, there's always that aspect to it as well.
0: Otis Livingston at Channel 2 in New York. How frequently in the newsroom at Channel 2? Do do the people that work in there get into political debates? And I have a reason for asking you. Uh, I don't see
1: it outwardly. Um, I, I think in the sports department, it's it's rare. You know, we don't really get into it. I think that's one of the the biggest uh, uh, detriments to relationships. <laughs> yeah, we've seen it in
0: the last few years. You know, the, the political talks have have busted up families. You know, yep.
2: um,
1: have busted up relationships. Um, so, uh, I think, I think we kind of keep it to a minimum, you know, there, there's a
0: little bit, but not, not a whole lot. Well, let me ask you now to continue in the same vein, you got a very controversial issue going on and then you play golf in the world yeah, of golf. Should, Phil Mickelson is going to play in this tour, it's this tour in Saudi Arabia, uh, yeah. Dustin Johnson as well. There may be some others, uh, considering what's happened in that country, as it relates to the murder of an American journalist, uh, and basically, I'm wondering how can you, as an American, get involved in that whole? And it's strictly about money. We know that. But, oh yeah. I mean, yeah. Mickelson and Dustin Johnson's credibility is at stake.
1: Yeah, yeah. I am. I am working on the story right now. As even as we speak, I have my rundown open right now. I was just uh, typing up some stuff, um, and we're trying to. To get in touch with uh, with Ian O'Connor, who wrote an article about it today, I you ready uh, for our, for our show tonight? Yep. So it, there's, uh, I mean, there, there there appears to be uh, some some feelings towards the PGA Tour. First off, okay, even before this other uh, tour came into existence and, and approached them, so it seems that there is some. Animosity through the players and the PGA Tour. Not exactly sure what that is. Haven't been able to put my finger on it yet, what those issues are, but there appear to be issues there. Now you got a guy who, let's uh, say like Phil Mickelson, who's had his run-ins with the Tour. Uh, he doesn't have to do this anymore. His, his legacy in his mind is cemented. Uh, so his was his deal was uh, reportedly at least two hundred million, I believe. Yep. Uh, Dustin Johnson was one hundred and fifty million, and he said that he's doing what he feels is best for his family. You know, he hopes that at some point in time he can return to the to the PGA tour, but for now he's going to play on the Live Tour and hopefully play in major tournaments like next week in the uh, U.S. Open. That, that's that's going to be interesting to see what the tour does about that, or if they can, because I don't think that they have the right. To bar him. I think the majors are their own entity. They make those decisions. Right. So it'll be interesting to see if he's even going to be playing next week. Phil Mickelson also is supposed to be playing. And he's turned into kind of the the pariah. You know, he's the face of this whole thing. Phil Mickelson. You know, and, and a guy who's an all time great. That I don't know if it, if it messes up his legacy or not, or if he even feels. Or cares about that type of stuff. He's done what he's done. His name is there. His accomplishments are there, and he's on the back nine, so to speak. Anyway, you know. Um, so uh, it, it's it's interesting. Um, and 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 it's been a number of those guys that are that, that are going over, you know, to play there. Kevin Na, also, you know, Sergio, yep. who's you know Spanish and everything. So it, I, it's not a U.S. player, but you know, it, it's. A lot of pretty big names on the on the
0: uh, PGA Tour that are deciding to play there. No, I read the O'Connor article this morning. As a matter of fact, I texted Ian and told him that that was a sensational article. Uh, nice. I mean, you know, you're talking about Greg Norman, one of the great yeah. chokers in the history of professional golf, uh, and and he's got some other skeletons in his closet. But that aside, right? You, you're basically taking you're basically spitting in the eye of every American. Yeah. Really, based on yeah. what the, what the history is?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, so many layers to this thing, you know. And and I'm 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 highly interested to see how this thing uh, plays out. That was a shocker this morning, you know, because I know back in February, DJ said that he was fully committed to the to the PGA Tour and that that he wasn't going to do that. And now here we are you know he said he's been thinking about it long and hard for the six months uh for four six months rather um now he's not going to be able to play in the Ryder Cup or the President's Cup and represent his country so that's a big blow to a guy who has pride in doing that you know but these sort of things have been he he had to think about those things he had to be well aware of all the repercussions going into this you know and he's going to tee it up there and hopefully he for his sake he'll be able to tee it up next week in the u.s open you know he got asked a bunch of questions today um and that will definitely happen next week at the u.s open in brookline
0: appreciate the insight as always otis great talking to you You stay safe
1: you too as always my pleasure
0: man otis livingston at channel two interesting cat interesting this whole thing about greg norman pisses me off beyond belief it just does. I mean, where where does Mickelson come off doing something so stupid? What do you think the reaction is? He goes on a PGA Tour then? What do you think the crowd's going to do to him? I mean, this was a popular guy. Forget the rest of the stuff. I think it's totally incredible. Absolutely, totally incredible. But having said that, we move on. Trying to get a hold of Daryl Slater of the New York Star-Ledger. Not having trouble.
1: Hello?
0: Hey, Daryl, it's Howard David. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. Um, I I just got off with Otis Livingston at Channel 2. Uh, I don't know if you're a golfer or not, but uh, I'm really upset about this whole Phil Mickelson thing. I, I don't know if you play golf or you're interested in it, but... This isn't about golf, I know it's about money, but you're you spitting the eye of every American by doing this, I think
3: yeah, well no I mean I'm a pretty bad golfer in the very and the sporadic times I do play, but I've certainly been following the story and uh yeah, look I mean it's obviously uh hey you talk about a guy doing something for money who's already made so much money I mean how much money do you need is really the, what it comes down to with a lot of these guys who are who are doing this so um What's, what's the price of, of making mo- more money when you've already made so much already? And, and uh, yeah, obviously taking money from people that are compromised to say the least and certainly proven criminals. I mean, they killed a journalist. Everyone knows that and everyone's acknowledged that. And so yeah, I think that certainly ought to hit home for a lot of people uh, who value uh, free speech and all, all, all the things that are attached to it. So, yeah, it's certainly been a crazy story. I, I can't say that I watch a lot of golf, and I am certainly not going to watch, watch this. I don't even know where it's going to be televised. So yeah, But I've, I've been following it, that's for sure. All
0: right, let's talk about uh, your main area of influence now, and that's the Jets and the Giants um, for the first time in who knows how long. There's optimism running supreme to Jets, Jets fans, Jets players. A lot of excitement attached to this team right now. Uh, what does it really come down to? It comes down to what the general manager did, Joe Douglas, was surround the quarterback with offensive weapons. And boy, you look at that wide receiver room, in addition to Elijah Moore and Corey Davis, now you got Garrett Wilson, you got uh, Braxton Berrios, uh, Corey Davis, and more importantly, or as important, two tight ends. Uh, Uzoma from Cincinnati and Conklin from Minnesota. Now you've provided Wilson with, with a lot of receptions.
3: Yeah, I mean, the tight end is, in particular is a big part of this West, West Coast offense that Michael LaFleur runs. I mean, it's, it's a Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan style of offense, and I think having that, um, you know, that tight end position bolstered should really help them. Obviously, a lot's going to come down to Zach Wilson, but he has the pieces around him and the protection where you would think that he, he ought to be able to make uh, strides this year. I mean, he was one of statistically one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL last year. So really only one way to go, and that's up. And uh, they obviously need him to, to really up his game this year, especially because the start of the season schedule-wise is, is so tough for this team. Uh, you,
0: we, we don't stop there. You go to the running backs. Now you've helped Michael Carter with Brees Hall, uh, who, who, who comes to the Jets in the draft. So, I mean, you've basically, you're adding offensive weapons, but not at the expense of the defense. Uh, You look at some of the moves they made, Johnson uh, as an edge rusher, and now you say to yourself, this on paper, and I know the old standard, oh, the game is played on the grass, not on paper, but the fact of the matter is, at least you can see some daylight here.
3: For sure. I mean, I think that you look at this, and they're doing it, they're building it the right way. I mean, there's a possibility that like, someone like Brees Hall just might not be a good player. I think all indications are that it was a good pick, and that he has plenty of potential, um, and they want to clearly do a running back by committee thing with this team. I mean, they've that's the way they've built this thing, really, ever since Robert Sala arrived, and Michael Fleur arrived last year, and so um, they, they, they tried to, you know, they, they kind of did it last year to some degree, with Kevin Coleman, and uh, Michael Carter, and uh, but really Carter, Carter, uh, sorry about the noise
0: there, I'm outside of the Giants, <laughs> uh, the, the media room's crowded and loud too, right.
3: um, but yeah, they, they wanted to clearly do the by-committee approach with the running back situation, I feel like Carter obviously distanced himself from the rest of the pack last year, and uh, now there's a situation here where he can have a good young one-two punch with Carter and Brees Hall, and that's the way to address the running back position. Middle round draft picks, second, third, fourth round draft picks, guys who are not taking up a lot of cash space, and that's what they have. They're 1 2 running back punch right now. I mean, that's, uh, I and mean, we've seen like spending a running back or spending a big guy pick a running back doesn't usually work. We've seen it time and again. So the, the methods have been good, right? And the methodology and the mindset is good. I, now let's see if they,
0: that can, you know, if that can convert itself into results. Meanwhile, uh, the Giants, um, And I think there's probably a little bit of a different slant here. Uh, In Zach Wilson, you got a young quarterback going into his second year. And with the Giants, you got Daniel Jones, whose job has been uh, on the line for the last couple of years. So now, here are the Giants in a situation where this has to be a make-or-break year for Daniel Jones.
3: Oh, yeah, certainly, you know, just by nature of it being a contract year, now that they've declined the fifth-year option for 2023, it is... It is the final chance for him to show that he can be a franchise quarterback. And, you know, you talk about the pieces that Zach Wilson has around him. uh, I think when you look at Daniel Jones, the Giants had kind of an average to below average tight end situation last year with Evan Ingram, and they're worse there. So, uh, you know, new offense with Brian Dable, uh, and the tight end situation is not great. Of course, that's not a major. Thing for the quarterback because look, they the receiver room has like names and it has potential, but there's just a lot of unrealized potential there. Whether it's Kenny Galladay, whether it's Kadarius Toney, um, in terms and then then those things are really attached to health of those two guys and ditto for Sterling Shepard, a guy who has not been able to stay healthy the past three years, um, since he got his contract extension. So, uh, if these if this receiver room can stay healthy and they have Wandale Robinson now to help out in the slot, um, they have you'd think uh the guys it's such a big what if whether they can stay healthy given their track record but they do have um some assets there for daniel jones it was, you know so let's see if saquon barkley can stay i i'd like to really just see saquon barkley like stay healthy for a full year that way we can get a read i'm like okay well like is he actually you know the, the line is not great okay i get that but like if this guy's really really good and he stays healthy and you know what he's going to produce results and if he's and if he stays healthy and he doesn't produce results there's only so much you can pin on the offensive line he's another guy who's in a contract year playing out the fifth year option this year so he's got plenty of motivation to to turn it loose and uh obviously a lot of the injury things for him have been bad luck i get it you know stepping on someone's foot that like he did in dallas last year that that sort of thing is unfortunate but um you know let's see if he w- what he can do if he stays healthy i you know, you don't want to see any player get hurt, obviously. But for him in particular, I'd love to see him, you know, let's see what happens if he stays healthy. I think we'll have more of a verdict on him um, than we did, than we've had over the past couple of years about just what this guy truly is.
0: Darryl Slater of the Newark Star-Ledger, uh, they, they helped the offensive line with the drafting of Evan Neal from Alabama. But the shining light that has been on the Giants now since draft day was the drafting of Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, he's the fifth pick in the draft. Uh, everybody's raving about him. He's obviously got an electric personality. Uh, now you got to back up the appearance with production, and that's uh, you know that's on the player and it's on the coaching staff to get him ready. But he comes, you know, highly rated by a lot of people.
3: And I think the one thing, the one knock on him was, did he take plays off in college? Like, was his effort consistent? And it was really interesting to hear. Um, Drew Wilkins, who's the new outside. Obviously, the whole coaching staff is basically new, but the outside linebackers coach now he came over from the Ravens with Mark Dale. And and Drew was talking uh, last week about the notion that Thibodeau, you know, took some plays off, and uh, he said, "Look, you know, this is and this is a, a fair point, I guess." He said, "Look, uh, you know, they they the, or this Oregon defense played a lot of no huddle offenses in the Pac-12. You know, teams that are running 90 plays a game and they're taking very few seconds between plays there are very few there's like no offenses in the nfl that are going to run like that right so you're not gonna you're generally not playing 90 plays a game in the nfl and he said look you know that's going to look different for a defensive player in terms of how the effort looks on film than a guy who's getting to face an offense that breaks the huddle every play and gets more of a standard rest between plays i thought okay that's fair all right, that's fair. Now let's see what this kid does when he does have a more quote-unquote normal situation in the NFL in terms of the pacing of the play. So that, that's part of it. And Now, unfortunately for Thibodeau, he, uh, in the first open OTA practice here this spring, which is the third overall OTA practice, he got hurt. We're, we're unclear on the nature of the injury or the severity of it. It doesn't seem severe. He's been out here, um, but he hasn't been practicing, which, again, not the end of the world. Shorts and T-shirts right now. It's about learning the playbook more than anything. And you'd think that he'd be ready for training camp given the fact that it doesn't start until late July, but obviously, you know, you would like to see him out there, but there's no, there's no sense in pushing these guys. Brian Dable is of that mindset as I think most coaches are. There's no sense in like pushing them to the limit, especially guys who are ailing uh, this spring, right? There's bigger fish to fry down the road and, uh, and certainly they're going to need Cave on Thibodeau when it, when it matters, a lot more than it does right now, and I think in the in, in the one note to that is you know, Brian Dable straight out said today that he's going to be vague. He's going to be uh, Belichickian. Uh, hmm. Not surprised there, but when it comes to talking about injuries, so we're going to be doing a lot of this vague talking when it comes to these injuries. Unfortunately,
0: it sounds like a social media movement, the Belichickian era. I like it. <laughs> uh, let's. Uh, uh, I want to go back to Wandale Robinson from Kentucky. He's only five foot eight, but he produced thirteen hundred forty-two yards last year. Uh, I know he's at five foot eight, so you have to, I guess, envision him as a slot receiver.
3: Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah, he'll be in the slot. And they, you look at that and say, "Gee, second round pick on that guy? Isn't there some positional redundancy with Kadarius Tony?" And that's going to be interesting to see how Brian Dable and Mike Kafka use those two again, presuming health for, for both players. You know, so like, how, how, what is Tony's role, and what is what is Robinson's role? Like, they're both slot-ish, gadget-ish type players, so. So isn't there some redundancy there? I think that's a logical question, uh, along with this. They're both not big guys. Tony's bigger than Robinson. I mean, Robinson's about as small as you'll see for an NFL player. Uh, so what about the durability factor? You already have seen Kadarius Tony have issues with durability last year, and now they bring in a smaller player. Um, and so what is his durability going to be like? And, and I know that's you know it's maybe a cliche, obvious point, but – it's sort of a reality. Um, but, yeah. You know, look, now watch him go out and be fully healthy, I guess. <laughs> but I think that the bigger question here is, like, how are they going to deploy these two guys? And, and and what does that mean for Sterling Shepard's role when he comes back from his torn Achilles' tendon? Right. It was a late-season injury, Week 15 last year. Uh, so where does he fit in when he returns? And when, you know, he's obviously not going to be ready for Week 1. Uh, so then, you know, let's see how much that frees up things for Kenny Galladay on the outside. Uh, but they have some intriguing pieces here. Um, they like... Versatility, clearly, right. So, like Robinson gives them some of that jet sweep motion type versatility, as does Kadarius Tony, and so not necessarily your traditional looking wide receivers. Um, so, I think they think that could help them. I you know they definitely think they could help them. This is why he use a second round pick on this guy. Uh, but Tony's such a wild card, you know. Obviously, he has been since Day One, and uh, he it'll be fascinating to see what happens with him this year.
0: Darrell, always appreciate your insight, man. Enjoy the OTAs. <laughs> At least it gives you something to do, right? Yep, it's a nice
3: day here in East Rutherford. Actually, today's the first day of the Giants' three-day mandatory minicamp, which practice-wise will look the same as the OTAs. So they got today, tomorrow, and then Thursday, and then they're off until training camp. And, yeah, I stay here in East Rutherford, so we'll get to
0: watch some football and uh, get a little bit of a tan. Well, enjoy, Darrell. Thanks again for your time. Stay right, safe. Thank you. He's Daryl Slater of the Newark Star Ledger. I, uh, I was, you know, OTAs to me are, are tough to deal with because uh, y- y- you're looking at, at so many different things all at the same time, and you just wonder, you know, when the train stops. But having said that, I don't know. I, I find it intriguing to say the least. Let's change gears. Talk a little ba- baseball with somebody you've probably heard of. Hello. There she is my friend Susan Waldman. How are you?
2: I'm great, Howard. How are you? I see you're in Florida. No,
0: no, no, that's no, just my cell phone. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, we mo- <laughs> we moved back to New Jersey about 8 years ago.
2: Yeah, I I knew that. I knew that, but I I didn't know, but it said Boca when I uh when it went
0: off. Well, I got a Boca mindset. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, tell me if you are if you are marks uh, i mean i'm sorry i just went completely nuts there for a second uh if you are gary sanchez what are you thinking about today
2: if i'm gary sanchez i am thinking about first of all his meeting with the new york meet the central time and then i am thinking about please rocco put me in this lineup <laughs> and i want to go out and hit seven home runs off of jameson tyone <laughs>
0: That the trade, the the trade didn't shock me because look, Sanchez has had a rough couple of years. But the giant, what the Yankees get out of this is a shortstop who can field very well. Uh, Donaldson has been in and out, had some injuries, had the issue, obviously the controversy. But at the end of the day, did anybody at this point did anybody win this trade?
2: Absolutely, the New York Yankees won this trade. Because of Donaldson and Isaiah Kainafalefa. By the way, those two, we'll start with them. Isaiah Kainafalefa has changed the way this team plays defensively. He makes some mistakes, but he plays with an aggressiveness and a joy that hasn't been around here for a long time. Donaldson is flat-out great at third base, and he's had a little shoulder issue. He was just starting to hit when he went down and um, with that, but he's back now, and, I expect, and he won the game the other night, so I expect him to be fine. This is a different team. The other thing, Howard, you have to remember is because they traded Gary Sanchez, Jose Trevino is on this team. And that catching duo has been unbelievable, both at the at behind the dish with the pitching staff. Look at the pitching staff. This mm-hmm. is not an accident with what's going on. And I am telling you that the catchers have as much to do with it as they do themselves. The two of them, I call it the two-headed monster. Um, they are they work in a tandem. If you look in between innings, Trevino and Higashioka both career backup catchers are sitting together going over game plans talking about that worked that worked let's try this it's an amazing thing to watch and you know I hope Gary Sanchez has found it I really do he worked really hard he did everything the Yankees tried they they remade his stance which he wasn't comfortable with um, I always thought if they had left him alone he would have been like Posada maybe not as good behind the plate but he would have been an offensive catcher and that would have been fine but they tried to make him into something he is never going to be but without him here and with what happened um the Trevino and Higashioka don't get as much credit as they should and that has really helped helped help this pitching staff
0: you uh, to your point about the pitching staff I mean tonight's start is going and he's six and one he hasn't lost a game in six starts uh his right. ERA is 2.3 uh then you go tomorrow uh, Nesta Cortez, who for me is, uh, <laughs> is the story of this pitching staff, the All-Star game, right? right? He's the, he's the story of the Yankee pitching staff in the first part of the year, the way that he has given up. He hasn't given up ice in the summer. He gives up nothing. Uh, okay. and the Yankees had that stretch when they swept the homestand during that stretch. How many shutouts were there? Two or three?
2: Well, there were there were almost two perfect games. That's a two and a half perfect game, and that's the thing. Tyone and Montgomery and Cole and Nestor. Who am I forgetting? There's a fifth
0: one. Um, Montgomery. Montgomery. Well, Uh, Severino. They have have a little. Severino. Severino goes
2: back to where he was. They have a thing going. This pitching staff, uh, Severino said to me after he was taken out after seven, giving up nothing, he said, you know, if you don't go seven around here, you're going to get traded. (laughs) And it's a joke that they've got. They all now are wearing bucket hats together. Uh, CeCe Sabathia started a, a trend where when the starting pitcher warms up, the entire rest of the starting staff goes out to the pen with him. And they all, you know, and they watch the the warm up and then they come back in together. So when the pitcher comes back from doing his warm ups before the game start, you'll see five people out there and they're all walking together. And that's what they have done. Um, they are they have turned into such a staff. And, you know, everything is ebbs and flows. But right now, boy, are they on a flow? I mean, it's just amazing one after another. And they've got this little thing um, with each other. That if you don't go seven, you can't sit over here. And it's it's fabulous to see. And as long as it's working, um, they're having a lot of fun with it. And, you know, and it's not it's not an accident. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what has helped, the pace of these games. The Yankees now have 25 games that are under three hours. When have you ever mm. heard that? Mm. And I think a lot of it is because of this pitch comp, which they've got. Which, you know, it's the thing that's on the catcher's wrist, so there's no... Um, You can still shake somebody off, but there's no people wandering to the mound all the time. And and it goes very fast. And as you know, when pitchers have a really good pace, that's when they play better. That's when the defense plays better. Um, I also think the defense is a big part of this when you've got the left side of the infield, which is tons better than it was last year. Yep. Glaver Torres back at second base, and he's turned back into that kid. You can see it happening. He's making great plays at second. And the key to all of this, we haven't even mentioned, is Anthony Rizzo at first base, yep. who has told kind uh, of Kainapalefa more than once, just throw it, I promise I'll get it. <laughs> and that is <laughs> that is a big key. So the pitching and the defense
0: has turned this team around. The uh longtime uh broadcaster for the Yankees, Susan Waldman, uh we haven't mentioned Aaron Judge, who as right now is on pace for an MVP type year. But when he turned down the Yankee contract before the start of the season, uh there obviously was I, I would imagine a little concern from Yankee fans, but the way that he's going right now, he's basically uh he's betting on himself and he's mm-hmm. winning. Hitting 3:13, 40, uh, uh-huh. 42 RBI, 21 home runs, fielding his position. He's the leader of this team, and uh, I don't want to speculate in June what he's going to do when the season's over, but I kind of would believe, I'd be not shocked, I'd be surprised if he wasn't a Yankee long-term.
2: Oh, I, I would be very surprised because here's the other thing, and by the way, fielding his position, he's also playing a flawless center field. Flawless. And he has been there a lot and he loves it. And he, don't forget, he was a center fielder. When he, when he was signed. He played in college. He's played it his whole life. And one, there were other options when he came up. Brett Gardner was there, etc. cetera. Um, but now there's a need because Aaron Hicks isn't hitting. And um, so they put Judge in center, and he loves it. So he's doing this also, playing both right field and center field. Um, I would be very surprised if he were not a Yankee. The Yankees have to know his value. And I know it sounds, Howard, to, to you and me, that turning down that amount of money is ridiculous but i understand it i really do he wants to, Do you know what aaron judge himself is worth to the new york yankees mm-hmm. think of the television <laughs> think of the t-shirts think of everything he is to me he is the face of baseball and i mean that because you put aaron judge in um down in any state in wyoming um and they know who he is you put him anywhere. I understand Mike Trout is supposed to be the best player in baseball. Can't prove it to me. I mean, I, we never see Mike Trout except when he's here. And, and, okay, I understand everything. But if you put Mike Trout and Aaron Judge together, 90% of this country will know Aaron Judge and not necessarily know who Mike Trout is.
0: Well, you, you mentioned Trout and the Angels. Is there a bigger surprise to you in oh. baseball? And, and how they, they've lost, what, 10 in a row?
2: I think they're up to 12 in a row now. Oh. But, um, yeah, I was I, – we had thought that it was going to be um, pitching. I'll, I'll tell you that's, that's really interesting is that um, both Shohei Ohtani and, and Mike Trout, when they've been in New York, have not been the people that we thought they were. And if you look at that lineup, um, you know, you have um, the top of the lineup. When you get past um, – Shohei and Tro they really don't have a lot of hitters down there I mean they really don't and it's I'm not quite sure what's going on there and I know they've lost some heartbreakers they lost a couple of heartbreakers in Philly that were that are unbelievable um but they didn't look like they did at the beginning of the season I would imagine they'll you know start getting Syndergaard got uh, got hit around in um in New York as did um Shohei um, but they have not looked good. They started off really great. And maybe we got fooled. Uh, I know people want the Angels to be great because they want to see Mike Trout and Shohei Otani in the postseason. But, you know, you have to get through the, the American League East first.
0: Yeah. He's, she's Susan Waldman of the broadcast crew of the uh, Yankees. Speaking of the crew, uh, today I read that John Sterling is going to take mis- like 25 to 30 road games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, there were some names mentioned, uh, including yours. Uh, I know you've done some play by play, have you not?
2: yeah no, I did, but I haven't done it in a very long time i' you know I might do an inning or two at some point, but i'm not that isn't what I'm looking to do um you know there are a lot of names going around I have no <laughs> i know someone'll be sitting there with me i'm not I'm not in this at all, but you know John deserves to. Uh, to take some games off. Every every, um, announcer that I know, except for me, actually, and Dan Dickerson in Detroit, uh, (laughs) take games off. And John's earned that at this point. He really has. Someone will be sitting there. Whoever it is, I'm sure it'll be fine.
0: Well, the same thing happened with the Mets with Howie Rose, too. He took took some time off. Uh, Where did you get your passion for baseball?
2: Oh, gosh. Um, I had my own season ticket when I was uh, when I was three. That's the 50s. I used to go with my grandfather all the time to uh, Fenway Park. I could literally reach out and touch Ted Williams. That's how close the seats were. And uh, and, uh, you know, back in growing up in the 50s and 60s in Boston, um, that was a that was a passion. And in those days, Howard, I had no idea that little girls weren't supposed to know about baseball. They knew. My aunts knew. Everybody I knew um, loved the Red Sox and the Celtics and and the Bruins. And I had no idea that women weren't supposed to know these things. So that's where that was. It's, you know, it's walking into... You know, that little emerald jewelry box of a ballpark sitting in the first row to the Red Sox dugout and um, looking at that place and just falling in love with the whole thing. And it was, uh, you know, I, I once took Ricky Henderson over. He asked me back in the 80s, he said, where did you learn? And I said, where will we go to Fenway Park? And I, I took him to where I used to sit. And I said, sit here and now pretend you're four years old and look around. And this is before they made the monster seats and before they, you know, made it into a big ballpark. You know, it was tiny. Little, and by the way, Howard, there were 500 people in the park in those days. Nobody came. <laughs> Nobody came till 67. So I knew everybody. You know, you'd know everybody around you. I was little and cute, and I'd stick my head into the little dugout, and people would think I was adorable. <laughs> so it's, it's um, yeah, I, I grew up in it. Let's put it that way.
0: Well, you're still adorable. Um <laughs> <laughs> Like, I probably couldn't sit in those seats and stick my head into the dugout anymore. No. Now you get a guard pulling you back. Yeah, but the, in, in view of the bitter rivalry between Boston teams and New York teams, how do oh, you, yeah? make, how'd you make that switch in your mind going from rooting for the Red Sox to where here now you're broadcasting the Yankees?
2: Well, I've been, I've been in New York for 50 years, so I think it's fine. Okay. Um, no, it's like, you know, everybody I know, I mean, I've been with the Yankees now. This is my 35th year. So I've been here. I've been on the buses with them. And George Steinbrenner was is is uh, largely responsible for everything I I have done. And, you know, unless Ted Williams or Carlton Fisk are coming back to play for the Red Sox, I, I don't have a lot of allegiance. I must tell you, though, I will admit that when I walk into Fenway Park, when I get off the Yankee bus and go into Fenway Park, for the first, like, five minutes, I'm walking down those old corridors with my grandfather. It never goes away. But the people are... I was different.
0: I've been here. No. Are you with me? Yeah,
2: I am now. Yeah, I, yep. I
0: just, I it's just dropped off a little bit. So, look, I know you long enough to know the trials and tribulations you've gone through as a woman in broadcasting, um, and for that, I've, I've always told people that ask me about you, I'll say she's probably the most courageous person I've ever been around, <laughs> uh, for on a number of fronts, and you know what I'm talking about.
2: Yeah. Well, it's um. You know it's been a long time and and you know and now i see kind of the fruits of everything i went through i mean i tell people about what um and you were around then and and i tell people about what it was like 35 years ago and what people said to me and people trying to kill me and, and it's just you know literally when you have your own police detail at yankee stadium for a solid year because there's some nut out there who wants you dead because you're talking about about um baseball it's kind of terrifying it's kind of terrifying I'm glad that the young women that are coming up now will never have to go through what I went through what Leslie Visser went through what Melissa Lutke went through um, all those kinds of people that were coming up at the same time um, I did and you know so it's 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 a little satisfying it's a little it took a little too long for my sake and you know and I I worry that it can go back the other way but um, you know at that time it, it wasn't a lot of fun and you were Around when i was doing basketball and, and stuff it wasn't easy basketball was actually easier but because there you know i never had a moment's just dis- discomfort in an nba uh locker room or around any of the guys but it, it's different in the other sports but i think those days are gone now
0: yeah like well, I, when i was doing sunday night football on cbs radio uh that was espn was doing the sunday night games and i spent a lot of time before games with Susie caldwell who was doing sidelines uh, and uh-huh. we we talked a lot about that, and your name came up obviously. But uh, I still I'm in touch with Susie. She's tremendous, and one of the one of the really true great broadcasters around. But I I look at the, the when when you accomplish something after all the adversity, man, does that smell sweet after a while, right?
2: <laughs> it, it does, of course, and I'm glad you brought up Susie because I forget about about people there. Susie's been doing this a long time, yeah, and it's a little different when you're in the studio and when you're out there. But she is as good a broadcaster in the studio and from the sidelines of anything, and she, you know. You, you smile through the adversity because that's not your job to show the fans how tough it was. Um, she's fabulous. She's as good as it gets, and I'm so glad that that she's still on and still contributing the way she did. But that's you know there are names that that there that have been there almost as long as as I have, and you know it's great to see that we're all still working.
0: Susan, let me ask you about of the current newcomers in broadcasting, female newcomers. Who's the one? Is there one or two that make that make you sit up and take notice?
2: Um, There are a couple. And well, but they're in the minor leagues. There's a young woman named Emma Teethman, who is now the voice of the Portland um, uh, Sea Dogs, Red Sox on it. She's double A. There are six or seven young women that I know that are in the minor leagues that are doing play by play and do it by themselves. You know, guys do. And they're out there. And we don't hear their names, And but they're out there. There's one in Portland. Um, Emily Messina is in Redding. That's a Phillies thing. Jill Guerin is out in Visalia. That's in California. Hmm. Lisa Pride is down in Florida somewhere. Lisa Pride is Curtis Pride's wife. Um, she's down in A-ball team somewhere in Florida. There are six or seven of them that are out there, which which is was unheard of when I started. Unheard of. And um, there are, and of course Melanie Newman, who is doing um, the Apple games. She she has really paid her dues. She now does um, some play-by-play. She does three or four innings every few days on Baltimore uh, Orioles radio. They're out there, Howard. I mean, they really are. And you know, when when jobs come up, and I hear all these guys from minor league ball that are being. Um, bandied about and I come back and say I'll give you four women right now (laughs) and you know that hasn't happened yet that's the next step that's the next step but trust me they're out there as a matter of fact um somebody one of them they had a minor league at the at the um what do you call it the um the winter meetings uh before uh COVID they had a minor league um, get together and six or seven of them took a picture. I'm going to start to cry again. They took a picture of themselves all together and sent it to me and they are all out there and they're all in their early twenties. And half of them listened to me growing up when they were tiny little girls. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the young ladies said to me when I was a little girl, my parents lived in, in New York and we drove around and I never knew I couldn't do this because they turn on the Yankee games and you were there.
0: That's great. The great Susan. And, and that's,
2: you know, that's that's terrific. So they're out there. I'm telling you, they're, they're there. And now we just have to get them into the pool where they pick the new broadcaster for a team. Before I,
0: before I let you go, uh, every broadcaster has gone through criticism from media critics, etc. Uh, I went through it. You've gone through it. But at this stage of your life, you mentioned you've been doing this for 50 years. At this stage <laughs> of your life, if you get criticized by one of the radio TV broadcasters, does it still bother you?
2: Everything bothers me, Howard. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. You know, you just, now I kind of shake my head because, you know, a cert, there are certain TV critic people here who have been trying to get rid of me for 35 years. I mean, I'm still here. I'll be here. When I walk away, I'll walk away. But, you know, they're not going to do it. Um, nobody, and you know what, because when you put yourself out there, there's a reason nobody wants to be criticized nobody but it's you know and it's and it and if if i block myself off to the point where it doesn't hurt anymore then i've lost something that i can't bring to my broadcast because my whole thing for all those years has to to bring the emotion of a player what he's gone through because um, that's how i've made my living is getting to know people and finding out why this happens. Anyone can do stats. Anyone can tell you that he swung over a 3-2 slider down and away. Anyone can tell you that. Why did he swing at it? What was he going through? And what did he feel after he struck out? Once I let, once I harden myself to criticism that it doesn't bother me, that part of me that allows me to get inside somebody else goes away. And I don't ever want to do that.
0: Keep knocking it out of the park, my friend. Great talking to you.
2: (laughs) Thank you for asking me, Howard. Great to hear your voice.
0: She is Susan Waldron, Yankee broadcaster, for a long time. I'm a big fan. I'm sorry, because I worked at WFAN doing fill ins, and Susan was working there as well. And they gave her a hard time. They wanted, they objected to her even being there, because she was the only female on the air. And one night I'm doing a, a, a fill-in, I forget for who, and it doesn't really matter. And two guys at WFAN were, were criticizing Susan. And I said, guys, it's none of my business, but why don't you leave her alone? Give her credit for bucking the system. Give her credit for having courage. And then later on, you know, when she uh, had a battle with cancer... All of a sudden, the same guys are, uh, you know, oh, we're wishing her well and all that bullcrap. That's all I can say. I'm just saying, she's a one of a kind, deserves a lot of credit. Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live, and you stay safe. Mm -hmm.